That to-do list you have needs one more thing. Chill. It's an easy thing to do. Just crack open an ice-cold Coors Light and chill. Take the afternoon off and binge watch anything. Go to happy hour and stay for a couple hours. Who's counting anyways? Or hang out with just your dog because you've had enough human interaction this week. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to the Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Bald Face Truth. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. In for John Kanzano, here's Judah Newby with the Bald Face Truth. Welcome in to the show on this Tuesday, July 11th, right here on the Bald Face Truth, Bald Face Truth Radio Network. Judah Newby in with you. Talk a little MLB All-Star Game home run derby last night. Adley Rutschman showing out in the first round. Julio Rodriguez showing out in the first round. We'll get to a lot of that if you watched it and uh, have a take on it. 503-417-7575. We'll be joined by Nick Krupke, friend from KPTV Fox 12 Oregon. He's been just awesome with his coverage from up in Seattle during uh, MLB All-Star Week including the draft. We had a local name go in the draft on Sunday night in Noble Meyer from Jesuit, plus Adley taking center stage in the home run derby. He'll also be playing in the all-star game tonight. Julio doing his thing and just what the overall atmosphere is in Seattle right now at T-Mobile Park ahead of the third all-star game hosted there. Had one back in, I think, 78, 79, right around there. And, uh, of course, 2001, Ichiro's rookie year, winning MVP honors, hosting the All-Star Game, winning 116 games. That uh, is one of the more iconic years in baseball history and certainly Seattle Mariner history. So we'll catch up with Nick Krupke coming up uh, in our next segment and just get the vibes and atmosphere of what it's been like up in uh, T-Mobile Park in Seattle. And just driving into work today, it just feels like, man, beautiful, beautiful atmosphere, beautiful day. In Portland, the Willamette Valley, can baseball, can big league baseball make it to this market one day? And how cool would a big league atmosphere feel like in the Rose City on a day like today, playing a little afternoon baseball or maybe one day hosting an event that's uh, as iconic as the MLB All-Star Game. So a lot to get to. It was a lot of fun to watch last night's Derby, and uh, we'll look forward to watching the All-Star Game coming up tonight as well. Programming note on that note, at 5 o'clock we'll join the ESPN radio coverage of the MLB All-Star Game as well right here on the flagship of the BFT Radio Network, 750 The Game. So abbreviated two-hour program uh, with that in mind, joining the All-Star Game coverage. Uh, I love the All-Star Game. I think it's uh, you know one of the greater events in sports. I think it's lacked its uh, star power a little bit. Plus, you know, you got big names that, um, are a little bit banged up, like Aaron Judge is hurt. He won't be playing in it. You got Shohei in the game, but he won't be pitching because of the, the blister that he got, uh, or maybe he'll try to tough his way through it. But in all likelihood, he'll uh, he'll probably not go in this one. But, um, you know, Garrett Cole is on the mound. Arizona Diamondbacks right-hander is going for the National League. That 
is uh, making his rookie all-star appearance. So, you know, there's a, a lot of different layers to this one. But to me, it used to feel a little bit more special uh, when I was a kid. And maybe that's just a function of being young and being a baseball fan. But I used to tape all-star games on VHS growing up because often I had games, um, baseball games myself, during the all-star game or the home run derby. So it was hard to watch it live. But I used to try to tape it back in the VHS days uh, as a kid from Fox. And I loved when the players would be introduced and they'd be running out to uh, to take their place on the on the foul line, the starters, the pitchers, the, the managers, and then the entire reserves as well. And they would always wear their own team's uniform. I think that's always the best. When you're wearing your team's uniform in the MLB All-Star game, and frankly, I feel like the NBA should do this as well. Like, you know, obviously one team wears light colors, the other team wears dark colors, but just wear the jersey that you represent throughout the year instead of doing these fun, like, American or National League jerseys. To me, it's obviously it's a merchandise play and it's a money play, but it takes away from it for me. But some of the, the top All-Star games, you know, that I remember, obviously 2001 Seattle, um, 2002 ending in a tie. That's uh that's always pretty, you know, funny to look back on and remember and one of the I guess you'd call it a stain on on Bud Selig for cutting that one short even though that was controversial at the time and you didn't want to overuse players but uh, you know it felt a little weird to have an All-Star game ended a tie. I think it was 2000 and uh man was it 2006 that the All-Star game was in San Francisco, maybe it was a little bit later than that. But that was one of my favorites as well because Ichiro was in it and Ken Griffey Jr. was in it. Obviously, it was at the home of Barry Bonds, and that was a, a big deal when Barry was chasing, you know, the uh, the all-time home run mark set by Hank. And Ichiro, I think he started the game with an inside-the-park home run, and he hit it to right field where Griffey was playing. And I just love the Griffey-Ichiro you know, connection there. And uh, he banged it off the big brick wall out in right field where it's kind of a short porch at AT&T Park, now called Oracle Park, but back then AT&T. And uh, Griffey ran back to the wall, but it bounced off the wall and ricocheted back in toward the field of play. And as Griffey was chasing it, Ichiro was flying around the bases and uh, scored an inside-the-park home run in that one. That was always a top memory just because I love the, the Ichiro-Griffey intersection at the MLB All-Star Game and a great ballpark. San Francisco's just a top-notch ballpark. Seattle's a great ballpark as well, and it's been cool to see the uh, the remarks and the thoughts of everybody that's, you know, coming to the Northwest and how much uh, they enjoy being in the uh, in the market that is Seattle for the baseball All-Star Game. And here in Portland, obviously, there's a little bit of rivalry there with the Emerald City and the Rose City. You know, we try not to, uh, you know, put ourselves right on their level uh, all too often because we like to be our own thing. You know, obviously we've got an NBA team and they don't, which is a sad thing. You know, it'd be great if the Sonics were here and not in Oklahoma City. Um, But I think it's really neat to still have a game of the magnitude and the spectacle that is the All-Star game in the region, you know, that we live in. I I think that's a neat thing. As someone that's gone to T-Mobile Park a lot, I've seen a lot of ballparks. Um, I'd be curious what you think. If you, if you've been in, around and seen a lot of ballparks, let me know which ones are your favorites at 503-417-7575.
because T-Mobile Park's up there for me. You know, it had a better name when it was Safeco. I think we all still consider it Safeco deep down in our hearts. Um, AT&T Park is up there for me. Now Oracle, obviously, as a Cardinal fan, I really enjoy Bush Stadium. Um, The weather can be a little bit crazy out in St. Louis, out in the Midwest. Spent a lot of time at Wrigley. I think Wrigley is just a superb atmosphere, even if it does take you four hours to leave uh, a game sometimes because they do not have updated exit routes out of that old, you know, 100-plus-year-old ballpark. Uh, God bless them on the north side. Uh, ironically, never actually saw a game on the south side at uh, U.S. Cellular or whatever it's called now, uh, guaranteed rate field where the White Sox play. I actually haven't gotten down there to see. Saw a lot of games at Wrigley, but haven't uh, been to anything there. Citizens Bank in Philly I think is a great, great venue, but would be curious what you think as a listener at 503-417-7575, best baseball venue that uh, that you've seen a game in. And if you've ever been to an All-Star game, I want to hear from you as well because that's uh, always a, a fun experience to go to an event that holds that kind of standing. Uh, last night was pretty special, the Home Run Derby. You had Julio going for 41, the all-time record for a first round. We'll get to some sound of that, but it was hard not to smile when Adley Rutschman um, got in the batter's box, first from the left side, and he had his dad, Randy, pitching to him. Adley, uh, the Sherwood native, obviously I mentioned this on the show yesterday, but the Rutschman name is so deeply connected to the Willamette Valley with uh, Ad Rutschman, Adley's grandpa being a college football Hall of Famer for everything he did at Linfield and coached multiple sports. He basically coached every sport at Linfield uh, College back then growing up, and uh, he's a legend. Ad Rutschman is a legend. So, um, you know, that's that's Randy's dad, and, and Randy got to throw to Adley last night in the All-Star game. Adley was going to Seattle for his big league games growing up. That was like the only ballpark that he would go to as a kid, and now he's back in Seattle in the big leagues, in his first all-star game, in the home run derby with his dad pitching to him. I just, it, It's hard to write a script that's uh, any more impressive than that. So it was really neat to see. And uh, you saw a little bit of jitters. You know, he banged a couple of bombs on the first few pitches he saw, and then he had to settle in a little bit. But, you know, and Randy was taking his time. You could tell Adley's dad was like, uh, you know, he, he was pausing very deliberate, trying to deliver consistent, accurate uh, wheelhouse pitches. And, uh, you know, there were there was some good ones in there, and, and Adley got his groove after a while, cranked out 20 home runs from the left side. But then he did something that I think was just too perfect. He took a moment, and before his 30 seconds of bonus time, he switched from the left to the right side, which, who does that in a home run derby, right? I mean... It's great showmanship, which is really what the event is all about. It'd be one thing just to switch from the left to the right, you know, just as a lighthearted joke, just to say, hey, yeah, you know, I can do this. Well, he ended up clobbering the baseball from the right-hand side of the plate, which is allegedly his uh, less power side. And uh, I have a hard time believing that now, though. Just listening to how uh, Carl Ravitch was calling it for ESPN when Rutch Switch from the left to the right side. In Major League Baseball, and how about this? No way. Adley Rutschman will go from the no right way. side. He just blasted 21. The switch hitter turns around. Start showing off. And his off. first one goes. Start showing off. 
¡Qué Ahí clase de bolsillo! Adley Rutschman knew something, boys. He should get double points for this. Is he six for six? Oh, oh my goodness. goodness. <laughs> that one did Adley not go. Rutschman. Did he go seven of eight in that final round? Yes, he did. 30 seconds, seven of eight from the right side. From the right side, he gets up to 27 home runs, seven of eight swings from the right-hand side of the plate. Uh, it was a lot of fun to watch Adley Rutschman doing that. Uh, Nick Krupke will join us with his thoughts on uh, what it was like covering uh, this MLB All-Star Week up in Seattle. He'll be coming up in about 10 minutes' time or so as well. We'll also be joined in hour number two by Dave Deckard, who's the managing editor at uh, Blazers Edge. Talk to him about his thoughts on the latest with the Damian Lillard um, trade request, the timeline, how Joe Cronin is coming across, how to place this in historical context, uh, all of that. That's going to be coming up at about uh, 425 here on the show, as well as we take you up to 5 o'clock. And there's still a little bit more to, to button up from yesterday's show that included you know, Joe Cronin's Monday afternoon press conference in Vegas. And what still kind of strikes me today, and maybe, you know, I'm a little bit naive to this as well, but I came away feeling refreshed by Cronin's uh, taking responsibility and taking accountability publicly for failing to build around Damian Lillard. Now, whether or not that acknowledgement was genuine, I'll believe him. You know, I, be I believe that it was a genuine comment. What I think Cronin is better at than I maybe initially gave him credit for is his ability to, <laughs> I'm going to do it, bifurcate what he says publicly and what he actually feels deep down in his core, as the as, in his heart as a general manager. What he says publicly is, we're going to try to build a contending roster around Damian Lillard. Uh, and he reinforces this publicly. Over and over and over and over and over again. He says he tried to do it. That there were a lot of different deals in the works. Even past July 1st. But he also said, hey, I know that if you don't have a deal by July 1 to really uh, bolster your team, then there's a chance that you don't have it two weeks later. There's a chance you don't have it two weeks after that. So I understand Damian Lillard's trade request. So I think Cronin is, is doing a better job than I probably thought he was capable of, of you know, coming out publicly to the media, to the fan base and pitching one idea. And I'm not saying he's disingenuous, but I think he's just fine where he's at right now. Like he took accountability yesterday, said, I failed Damian Lillard. I think one of the reasons that he felt comfortable saying that is one, it makes him look good. And two, he's not all that disappointed at how it's turned out because deep down, what he really wants to do is rebuild this team. From the ground up, which is what he's been doing. This is what Brian Windhorst has been referred to as the as the quiet rebuild. You know, it's not the quiet quitting. It's been the quiet rebuild. Like, Cronin's been committed to this path for over a year now. And I think he's been saying we want to build around Damian Lillard. And then he was unable to do so. And instead of making excuses, he said, that's my fault. But I think one of the reasons it was easy to admit that fault 
is because he is just fine with where it's at. I don't think Cronin had any actual vested personal interest in trying to build a winner around Damian Lillard. That sounds crazy to say because most GMs, their job would be on the line if their superstar became unhappy. But Cronin does not have that, you know, professional uh, pressure. Jody Allen, Burt Cold, they're in no position to make a change at general manager. Sounds like they trust Cronin. And uh, Cronin comes across as pretty, you know, authentic and believable. But he ultimately wants to go about doing his job. And I think what he wants to do most is rebuild this whole thing. And included in that is getting return assets back in a Damian Lillard trade. So with all that in mind, it was refreshing to hear Cronin take responsibility and take some accountability for failing to build a contending roster around Damian Lillard. But at the same time, I think it was a smart move because it makes him look good, but at the same time, I think that it was also easier to say because he's just fine with the final result. He's just fine with where he is at and where the Trailblazers are at right now, which is playing the waiting game, not rushing to anything, and eventually trading, arguably, their all-time greatest player in Damian Lillard. So we'll talk a little bit more with Dave Deckard about that in the final hour, 417-7575. You know, it was jolting with the, with the trade request, and this thing might take a while. Obviously, Joe said it could take months, and I actually like that. I'm just fine with this thing taking a little bit of time because the worst thing that could happen is you pull the trigger on a Dame trade, you sacrifice return value, and you don't maximize your potential to rebuild. All of us in Portland, all we want is a halfway decent shot at competing in the Western Conference and trying to make the NBA Finals and maybe winning one. The only way to do that, really, is by absolutely crushing the draft, which it looks like you've got two pieces in there in Shaden and Scoop, maybe three if you include Ann Fernie, but we'll see. But you got to crush it in the draft probably with a with a big guy is the next step with whatever uh, draft pick you have next. And you want to have as many bites at the apple as you can. Damian Lillard doesn't give you those bites. His timeline doesn't fit. I think him leaving is just fine for the overall trajectory of the franchise because the seeds that got us to this point were planted a long time ago. We'll continue to flesh that out as the show progresses. But up next, we'll uh, get Nick Krupke on the phone from Fox 12 Oregon, KPTV sports anchor uh, with our friends at Fox 12. He's been incredible with his coverage from Seattle of MLB All-Star Week and uh, Adley Rutschman in the Home Run Derby last night, the All-Star Game tonight, Julio doing his thing, a Jesuit prospect being taken in the top 10 of the MLB draft. We'll talk about it all with Nick Krupke. That's coming up next right here. Newbie and for Kizano on the Bald Face Truth and the BFT Radio Network. You've got a favorite All-Star Game memory. I'm curious what you think at uh, 503-417-7575. Also, uh, you can tweet at Judah Newby at 750 the game. Not sure if this is uh, real or not, but uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and bite. Seeing some news that uh, a local name is gone in the MLB draft. 20th round. Football player. Being taken in the MLB draft 20th round. Let me do a little bit of quick uh, crack research just to make sure I got this right. 
I would give you a, a few guesses at uh, who this might be, and I don't know that uh, that you would get it unless you're dialed into these things. But he's a new player at Oregon State. He's DJ Uyunglele. Just got drafted by the L.A. Dodgers. 20th round, 610th pick overall. How about that? Dodgers taking the 6'5", 240-pound DJU as a right-handed pitcher. Uh, of course, DJ, he pitched at St. John Bosco and had a fastball that apparently topped out at like 95 miles an hour. So that's Velo that will get on some people's radar. He's 22 years old. He hasn't played baseball in college at all, either at uh, Clemson or Oregon State, although now <laughs> you know how good a program Oregon State is. Wouldn't that be – that is just funny to me that there's an Oregon State Beaver – taken in the MLB draft that uh, has never played baseball at Oregon State. It's a great program. And it's the quarterback of the football team. That's great. Uh, DJ completed 62% of his passes last year, 22 touchdowns, and uh, 2,500 passing yards, added 545 rushing yards and seven scores. Um, I'm excited for Beaver football this year. And uh, how about DJ Uyunglele being taken with the uh, – 20th round by the LA Dodgers. So who, who would have had that on their bingo card? Beaver taken in the MLB draft that has never played baseball at Oregon State. Uh, that's good stuff. Nick Krupke of uh, Fox 12 Oregon will join us uh, coming up here shortly. We'll also, uh, you know, talk to Dave Deckard about the Blazers situation. That'll be coming up in our second hour, but talk about DJ Uyunglele, and that just gives me free reign to talk a little college football, which is, you know, I'll never turn down that opportunity. Uh, you got the Beavers and week one, San Jose State. Let's dial up their schedule, and I got a few thoughts on this. One is the Sunday afternoon opener on CBS on September 3rd. That will be just a few days before the Lions play the Chiefs Thursday night in the NFL opener. By the way, the Lions. The Lions on opening night of the NFL schedule. How... <laughs> What world are we living in? I got a one of my buddies from college is a big Lions fan. He's from uh, uh, just outside of Detroit. And I was just telling him, I was like, dude, what world are we living in where the Detroit Lions are playing in the first game of the NFL season on national TV against Pat Mahomes? It's like, man, I don't know. Hell might be freezing over, but uh, you got to take the Lions seriously, I guess. Uh, so Oregon State will be in this window at 12:30 Sunday September 3rd and I tell you what man they'll be they'll have the national attention there won't be any other games going on at that time and uh it'll be just a situation where you know they will have a chance to really impress right away and I think they're what like a 17 point favorite something like that and it's it's going to be pretty wild um and hopefully DJ Uyunglele We'll, uh, we'll have a chance to shine, assuming that he actually wins the job in fall camp. All right, as promised, we'll uh, go out to the phone lines and uh, talk to a friend of the show, sports anchor at KPTV, Fox 12, Oregon. He's been on the MLB All-Star Game and the, the weekly uh, festivities, the Home Run Derby last night, the draft, had a local kid go in the MLB Draft Top 10. It's Nick Krupke joining us on the show. Nick, thanks for making time. How are you? Hey, Judas, sorry for missing the slot by six minutes. I was talking to Adley Rutschman. How is Adley doing? 
Well, he's as cool as a cucumber, man. I mean, can you imagine being 25, having looks like that and the, the swing like that from both sides of the plate? Kids living the dream, man. And it's so cool that he was here in 2006, about eight years old. He won a hit pitch and run contest. His sister told me he was barfing the night before. He's a gamer. He's a gamer. Mom told us that, that one time he broke his collarbone. He said, but mom, I was safe. What a great uh, representative of uh, Oregon baseball, certainly Oregon State, Sherwood, the whole thing, man. And for, for this game to be here, the first time in the All-Star game here in Seattle, wow, awesome stuff, Judah. What was going through your mind when you saw him switch sides of the plate and then absolutely crush baseballs from the right side? Yeah, well, you know, we talked to Randy before when he was getting loose and kind of let the cat out of the bag, and we were like, what's he going to hit from, left or right, right? I mean, um, how cool is that? I mean, sidebar – can we do away with the way they set up the home run derby and the pairings, let the top four hitters move on or you want to do? That's a goofy way to do it. But anyway, yeah. for him to set a record like that, the most switch hitting home runs in a derby, man, I mean, that's a pretty sweet number, too. That Who knows when somebody touches that, but this will be the first of many all-star games for Adley. And just, uh, this is a, a great, caring kid that's got uh, bigger and, and better things. This horizon has already been so many uh, great ones already. And just so many cool connections to this game here. It's very Pacific Northwest. Talk to Brian Hunter, too, who you know, graduated from Fort Vancouver, played 10 years in the big year here at the Mariners in 99, good friend of Griffey, and uh, coaches baseball with his brother right now at Union High with the Titans in Vancouver. And he played against Dusty Baker, and Dusty said, hey, Brian, want to come up and throw BP to the AL All-Stars? Brian was here, so I'm here to tell you, he never got a pitch to the guys because Scott Service jumped him in the BP line, and Hunter didn't get a throw. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's that's awesome. See, this is the stuff. Yeah. You you've gotten all these videos, you've been uh, prolific uh turning out the content. It's one of the reasons I wanted to get you on because of all these cool angles. Uh what's it been like for you trying to keep up with all the different uh video content and all the interviews that are available at the in Seattle right now? Let's well, keep this in business, man. The other cool part of it too is you know Paul Wilson and dad Trevor. Graduated from Oregon State, played about 10 years in the big Giants and the Angels his last season. His kid, Paul, 18 years old, just graduated from Lake Ridge. He goes third round to the Detroit Tigers, 76 overall yesterday in the draft. He's here today in uniform because the Dusty Baker connection, his dad, Trevor, played for him with the Giants. Paul is in uniform as the American League honorary bat boy. He was out there shagging balls with Shohei Otani one day after being drafted. I mean, can you imagine that? You imagine that. That's yeah. the life that Paul Wilson's living right now. That's awesome. Nick Krupke, KPTV, Fox 12, Oregon, joining us about 90 minutes uh, from first pitch of the All-Star game. It sounds like the atmosphere is is uh, is amazing. It's been looking great on television as well, Nick. Uh, how's it been actually seeing it in person this week? Well, the sky's the bluest blue you've ever seen in Seattle. That's the old song, right? I mean, you walk a block or two away from the stadium, and it looks like the worst of the reality we're living right now. But in the park, it looks pretty darn good. They've done what they can to clean things up around here in the south downtown area in Seattle and make it right. Third time here, of course, it's been 22 years, which is hard to believe it's even been that long. But um, just top-notch stuff. I mean, you know, the Mariners may not win a lot, but they do do a lot of things right. And putting on events like this when they get the opportunity is certainly one of those good things that they do. It'd be cool if they uh, some more games. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Well, I mean, hey, they, they, they were playing a little bit better right before the break. You mentioned yeah. uh, Dusty Baker. Hey, maybe, maybe we can get them on Portland radio again sometime. It was like, where's the Mariners game on? Oh, we can't get it. 
to that point, we got him back, Nick. Uh, it's, it's <laughs> oh, not, you do? Oh, it's, oh okay. it's, it's not every uh, game, but uh, we get most of the games. Oh, okay. So, uh, that, you know. Oh, well, that's good. Well, most is better than none. <laughs> most is definitely better than none. Uh, on that Mariner note, you had, you know, Julio Rodriguez doing his thing as well. Um, 41 <laughs> 41 homers in a round. Uh, what was it like? Uh, what was the atmosphere like when you know Julio went nuts last night? I mean, the roof was already off, but the roof would have been blown off. If not, I mean, can you imagine that? 41 home runs, what you're talking about. And the guy doesn't win? Doesn't advance to the finals? Uh, whatever, however it works out. Um, but just super cool stuff, man. And he's, uh, you know, a, a growing legend here. I know he's a little slow out of the box now at the midway point in the season, so time to really pick it up. We did last week and a half or so, but uh, just some bright young talents that this game certainly needs. There's 34 first-time All-Stars, Abby being one of them, Corbin Carroll from Seattle, of course, played about 42 games in the summer of uh, 21 with those Hillsboro Hops. Um, I'm seeing the sign right now of Freddie Freeman, Boba Shed outside here. Uh, the game is good. The game's in good hands right now, and uh, it's good to see as a lifelong baseball guy. It's cool to see, and uh, we got you covered on tonight on Fox 12. we got the game at 5, pregame show with the big boys on Fox at 4, and then we'll uh, do a little local show afterwards, too, at 8, 9, and 10. And uh, we've got all the good local stuff for you from Adley and his parents and, and Paul and his dad and just radical stuff, man. We just hope to uh, keep plugging along and doing it. So we appreciate you having on the show. Sorry, again, I missed your call earlier, man. Oh, no, no worries. And, uh, you know, before I let you go, we had a Jesuit kid go in the top ten of the draft in yeah. Noble Meyer. I know you had got to sat down with him a little bit. This, he's dripping with talent, and now he's off to Miami. Uh, how cool was that to see? And and what kind of a kid is Noble Meyer? What kind of guy are the Marlins getting? Really down to earth. Right? I mean, obviously six five throws a hundred miles per hour. And what's cool there is that him and Paul righty lefty about the same stature. They're best buddies since fourth grade. They live next door. They're great families, of course. They live uh, next door in West Lynn. And uh, just the way they've come up and worked out together for them, they both wanted to go day one, ended up being day one, day two, first round, third round. Uh, but just super amazing stuff. And for Jesuit, you know, you look at what Mick Abel was a number 15 pick in that 2020, the COVID year, when it was online. And, you know, he's a fast mover too. He was the Futures National League uh, starting pitcher here on Saturday. Uh, really cool stuff. It's just cool to see Oregon kids, Northwest kids doing well in their sport of choice and the fall along from high school. I mean, you know, the first time I remember hearing Adley Rutgers' name was when you were crunching for a front of that light show and somebody called and said, did you hear about the kid from Sherwood get the 63-yard field goal? Long state history. And turning to be the, the local legend of Adley Rutgers. So it's just fun to cover kids from growing up to getting to be big boys and real men and doing well and, and being Great members of society, just like Judah Newby. Oh, oh, look at that. Look at that uh, layup right there. Well, How did Kinzano get a day off, by the way? What happened? Doesn't he work? Well, I, I just was sp- speaking to him a minute ago. Uh, he's out in the East Coast somewhere where there's a lot of weather, so he's trying to get get his uh, okay. get his way back yeah. safe oh, and we sound. Get the, is he wait, are we going to get like the Oregon's going to go to the Big Ten story tomorrow? Uh, it's imminent, yeah. Yeah, it's it's imminent. Okay. Uh, <laughs> hey, by the way, what's your take it. on – John's the best. John's what, the best. What's your take on the Dame stuff, Nick, as someone that's been covering this market a long time? What's the rush, right? I mean, I, I listened to Cronin last night. Uh, he's in the right. They hold the cards. What's the rush to make a trade? He may want it now, but they can't be put in that corner. There, there's no timeline to get it done. We'd all like to have it done and quick and – you got to get something positive back. The contributors, real contributors now, 
and whatever kind of picks you're going to get too. So it's a bummer. It was imminent. It's it's a bummer. It took this long. It's a bummer that it took two years of intentional losing to then lose Dame. Maybe hindsight, you go, well, maybe we should have pulled the plug a couple years ago, but that's hard to say too. But sports can just suck, right? I mean, if you're a fan, that just sucks. A guy that was so loyal to you and, and, and will no doubt be welcome back and he's going to build a new home here. It's already being constructed. This will be part of his home, I think, forever. And he'll always be welcome back. Because I hope it's not a real messy divorce and he can have some kind of proper closure that would make both sides happy. And I think that Joe will be able to do that. I mean, the real question for any Blazer fan is, who's running this team? What's the future going to be? Because they're not going to get anywhere with the leadership they have now. I think we all know that. Um, we're waiting for that TV deal, the big windfall with the expansion. Soon enough here in Seattle, seemingly Las Vegas. And then maybe Jody and, and Bert, they count their coins and go, okay, time to move on. Hey, Phil, what do you want to offer? How about twice that? Exactly. That would expedite and it. And he'd probably go, he'd probably go, okay. Yeah, yeah, he would definitely do that. Uh, any MLB to PDX, uh, you know, talk up there while you're uh, while you're covering right. the All-Star game? What do you think? No, I wish there was, but no. No. Five, six years ago, of course, you know, we got to see some movement. And I think that with if there's really going to truly be some finalization of what Oakland's going to do, if they're going to Vegas, if Tampa's going to get a real stadium, that's been the real holdup, right? Once those two things get settled out, Major League Baseball is going to expand by two, just like the NBA. They all want their expansion fee money. It's going to happen. And it seems right now that it's going to be a West Coast team got to have at least one. Salt Lake City is really a real threat to whatever Portland's trying to put on the table. But as we know, our beloved city of Roses has a lot more things to clean up before maybe that's top of mind. But it can also be hand-in-hand. And if that deal works out with Lloyd Center and the whole construction and revitalization, of course, what Phil's doing as well, uh, it can all be married together, and that's, that's better for everybody, sports fan, non-sports fan, community, better. Let's get it going. That's yeah. what we're waiting for. That's really what, truly what we're waiting for, man. I know. I know. And I heard Rob Manfred. And maybe, and maybe, maybe your timbers to start scoring some goals. Dude. You're telling me. <laughs> You're telling me. Okay. We've got a Wednesday restarted broadcast coming up Wednesday night. Oh. Second half oh. at Colorado. Uh, so that's, that's. I'm going to tune in. Yeah. Tune in, tune in for that. But And then Diego Valeri goes into the Ring of Honor Saturday. So at least that's a bright note. Yeah, uh, see you there. Tim Timberside. That's right. It's great to talk to you, Nick. Thanks for making time on a busy, busy night. Enjoy the All-Star game. And where can, uh, where can viewers find your coverage uh, tonight? We'll find you on Fox 12 and Fox 12 Plus right after the game. Appreciate it, Nick. Thank you. Love you, Judah. There he is, Nick Krupke. He's awesome. Awesome. Uh, palpable energy. And, uh, man, he's he's all over the place. Just prolific content. So I wanted to get him because, you know, he's up there. And he's the one, you know, crapping all the all the video and, and putting it out there and getting great stuff for Fox 12. Um, and there is a lot of local angles to this All-Star game. And, you know, Rutschman, I think, for me, it's is the biggest one. Obviously, the Mariners hosting it's a big deal. Julio being there is a big deal. Uh, doing what he did in the home run derby um, is awesome. But, you know, for me as a McMinnville guy, you know, first and foremost with the Rutschman name, you know, having its reputation down there and Adley uh, doing his thing at Sherwood and at Oregon State and winning a national title and going number one overall and, 
Now you look up and he's already thriving at the major league level. Gets to his first all-star game, his first derby, and it happens to be in the ballpark he used to visit as a kid. And uh, he's got his dad throwing to him. So um, really appreciate Nick Krupke's insights on that. It just sounds like a lot going on in Seattle uh, right now, which is as it should be. It should be a, a party and a, a celebration of baseball at one of baseball's most iconic venues. Uh, it's going to be a great setting and great synergy right there because uh, the All-Star Game being in Seattle is going to be broadcast on uh, Fox 12 Oregon as well tonight with the uh, first pitch coming up just a little past 5 o'clock. And we'll have the radio coverage of it right here on 750 The Game. So we'll bounce the break. We'll come back. We'll talk a little bit more Blazers. We'll also do a big splash, and I've got some more Ducks and Beavs college football thoughts coming your way later on in the show as well. Nubian for Gazzano right here on the Bald Face Truth. Our thanks to Nick Krupke, Fox 12 Oregon, for joining us in our previous segment. i uh, been covering the MLB All-Star Game live from Seattle, and uh, they'll have all the coverage on KPTV, Fox 12 Oregon, and Fox 12 Plus, and, of course, the All-Star Game itself on Fox. And we'll have the radio coverage coming up at 5 o'clock. It was cool to see uh, Adley and Julio doing their thing last night. Uh, lots going on in the sports world elsewhere, and uh, let's get to our big splash. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The Big Splash. So yesterday we were talking about Pat Fitzgerald getting fired at uh, Northwestern. It looks like Northwestern is firing him for cause in the wake of these uh, hazing allegations. But it's a messy, messy thing. It's an ugly thing going on at Northwestern. Sounds like Michael Schill, the former president at University of Oregon, who is now the president at Northwestern, has handled this in a less than stellar way. And uh, he's got an issue on his hands right here. Pat Fitzgerald says that he's getting his attorneys involved and it's probably going to be uh, far from over before any final resolution is uh, is met on this. But at the very least, it looks like Pat Fitzgerald is going to be fired or has been fired. Now, what is going to be more of the fallout. Like, what about the assistant coaching staff? What about some of the players? Now, keep in mind that when your coach gets fired in college football, you get 30 days as a player to decide whether or not to enter the transfer portal. So, obviously, Northwestern was bad on the football field last year anyway, but now they are in a world of uncertainty and um, and are you know dealing with some core issues as a program, as a university, but... As a football team, uh, it's going to be hard to expect anything meaningful out of that program in 2023, that's for sure. Uh, it does sound like, though, that Pat Fitzgerald's assistant coaches are going to be retained in all of this. Um, defensive coordinator David Braun is managing the program as a liaison and could become the interim coach of the Wildcats. Uh the athletic director, Derek Gregg, was on vacation overseas when Michael Schill decided to fire Pat Fitzgerald and walk back his initial decision of suspending him two weeks. Um, that's just it's just odd to me. And I don't, don't know if there is a clear-cut reason other than public pressure for why Michael Schill, you know, went and took such a drastic change. A two-week suspension without pay in the middle of summer with nothing going on is a far cry from firing with a field renovation that you're trying to to navigate right now. I mean, it's an absolute mess. And 
I'm a little bit surprised. You know, Michael Schill came across as a very competent, um, you know, president. And he wasn't just the president at the University of Oregon. Like, he was the chair of the Pac-12 CEO group that ended up, you know, parting ways with Larry Scott and ultimately hiring George Klyovkov. And Schill and Klyovkov, you know, they were hand-in-hand when they were introduced. And, you know, this was Schill's guy. And Michael Schill seemed like one of the better presidents, you know, in the country. But it's hard to look at what's going on at Northwestern right now and say that he has handled this very well. Um, This was Michael Schill when he was greeting Northwestern after taking the job last August. Hello, Northwestern University. My name is Michael Schill, and I am honored and humbled to have been selected as your next president. Northwestern has a long tradition of educating the brightest minds and pushing the boundaries of research and innovation. Now, I know how a college education can transform one's life. I was a first-generation college graduate myself. My dad worked in a clothing factory, and my mom was a registered nurse. From an early age, they instilled in me the importance of higher education. It became my life's passion. For the past seven years, I've served as president of the University of Oregon. I'm proud of our work building academic excellence and making the university a more inclusive place where all students, faculty, and staff can flourish. Next, I'm really looking forward to engaging with the entire Northwestern community to push out the frontiers of research, to enhance diversity, and to foster a sense of belonging and respect. I am so looking forward to a great next chapter in our university's history. Thank you. So now, you know, the former U of O Prez has got himself in all sorts of, you know, hot water with uh, this Pat Fitzgerald decision. And uh, looks like the university is going to be in a bit of an interesting predicament should uh, Fitzgerald pursue some, you know, litigation in, in retaliation, as it were, for his firing. Shale said he may have, quote, erred in his decision to just suspend Fitzgerald for two weeks. He wrote in an email to community members over the weekend, Fitzgerald's suspension came after an investigation into reports of hazing in Northwestern's football program, and that uh, that investigation concluded Friday of last week. After receiving an anonymous complaint from a student-athlete last November, the university hired an independent firm to conduct the investigation. The firm's investigation concluded that the anonymous player's claims were largely supported by evidence. All right, so you you hire an independent firm. You investigate. You find that the player's claims are largely supported. You suspend the head coach for two weeks without pay in the middle of summer with nothing going on. There's public outcry. You fire the head coach. That doesn't come across as a beacon of competence. And it's just strange to me that Michael Schill would would handle it, you know, that way. Maybe it was an oversight on his part, but, I mean, this is part of what it is to be a president at a university. And, I, you know, 
I don't remember. I don't recall anything, you know, too disciplinary that he had to do as a president at Oregon with any head coach at Oregon. And this is, you know, unprecedented territory, I think, for a lot of programs and universities for something of this, you know, this kind of stature where a president has to put his, you know, stake in the ground and say, hey, I'm going to discipline my football coach because of some institutional oversight. But it's a far cry from two-week suspension in summer to getting fired. Like, I don't know, man. You've kind of set yourself up to, uh, for definitely for criticism, but you've kind of set yourself up for some litigation too. You know, I've been listening to Adam Rittenberg at ESPN. He's been all over this, and uh, he's kind of you know Chicago based as well. And he was on Chicago Sports Radio this afternoon. Um, I used to spend some time at six seventy the score, uh, WSCR out in Chicago, and you know he was on with those guys this afternoon and talking about it, and was like, you know what, I just I don't entirely know how Michael Schill and Northwestern defends this move when they already made their decision based on the evidence. The evidence led them to a decision. That decision was two-week suspension. There was no more evidence added to it. There was simply public outcry. And if you just go from public outcry to change it from two-week suspension to full-on firing— you leave room for Pat Fitzgerald to come back at you with his dirties. And that's exactly what's going to happen here. So this thing's far from over. I'm surprised that it happened this way with Shill's watch because his reputation at Oregon, in my opinion, um, you know, was different. And he could have handled this a lot better. And certainly Fitzgerald could have handled this a lot better from the beginning. Hour one in the books, hour two coming up right here on the Bald Face Truth Radio Network. Thanks for being here. Good to catch up with Nick Krupke up in Seattle. He's got uh, a bunch of good content at uh, KPTV Fox 12 Oregon. The Adley Rutschman home run derby last night. Julio doing his thing. Of course, you got the All-Star game itself coming up. 5 o'clock, we'll have the uh, broadcast coverage here on the BFT Radio Network flagship here on 750 The Game. DJ Uyunglele getting drafted in the MLB draft, 20th round to the LA Dodgers. Talked about that for a little bit. Uh, talked about the Pat Fitzgerald firing at Northwestern. And uh, Northwestern is going to be keeping their assistance, at least for right now. The defensive coordinator, offense coordinator are staying. The uh, athletic director right now is staying. Uh, we'll try to get some sound uh, going on from Adam Rittenberg at ESPN. He did a, a hit just a moment ago with the latest on everything going on with Pat Fitzgerald. Well, Kevin, Dan Webb, the attorney, told me that Pat Fitzgerald was fired for cause by Northwestern. Webb is he's researching legal strategies right now, but said that Northwestern essentially has breached two contracts. The employment contract that Fitzgerald has with the school was obviously signed to a new 10-year contract back in early 2021, and also an oral contract, he said, between Fitzgerald, the university president, and the general counsel that was, really, that was reached on Thursday into Friday, leading to their agreement 
read discipline. Two weeks of suspension, beginning Friday, unpaid, uh, heading into late July. He Webb telling me what has changed since then. There's no new information. Even the information that came out in the Daily Northwestern on Saturday was already relayed to the school's hand-picked attorney who handled the investigation into the hazing allegations involving Pat Fitzgerald. So Dan Webb, you're saying he's certainly open to some type of resolution, some type of agreement, but but certainly they feel that this is wrong termination uh, if, if they are certainly if they're if Northwestern is pursuing the for cause path of the firing so a lot more to uh, get resolved in Evanston that is for sure um, with the uh, the Pat Fitzgerald situation and again I just I'm a little bit surprised that it happened this way under Michael Schill's watch he seemed like someone with um, a little bit more competency than a two-week suspension without pay in the middle of summer. And then before before later, not only does he walk that back, he just goes full-on firing of his head coach at Northwestern. Didn't think that didn't think that he would handle it uh, in that way. And it probably goes back to the two-week suspension. Like, that That was the wrong decision in all likelihood. And it's what set him up for a little bit of, um, little bit of uh, criticism and uh, open for some return litigation, possibly breach of contract, like you heard Adam Rittenberg mention uh, just then. Uh, Joe Cronin talked to the media yesterday and was uh, discussing where things stand with the possible timeline of trading Damian Lillard. And he made a little bit of waves saying, hey, it's going to take some time. We're not rushing into anything. I think what I've learned more than anything is patience is critical. Like, don't be reactive. Don't jump at things just to seemingly solve a problem. Um, I think the teams that have ended up the in the most positive situation post-trade have been the ones that have been really diligent and taken their time and been not been impulsive or you know the teams that really kept their urgency under control so i think that's how my approach is going has been with this and will be with this is we're going to be patient we're going to do what's best for our team um and we're going to see you know how this lands and if it takes months it takes months if it takes months, it takes months, and that's certainly like an intentional way of wording things. Uh, if you're Joe Cronin, that's for sure. But I thought it was interesting too. He wouldn't close the door completely on Damian Lillard, maybe changing his mind. The goal is always to have Dame as a trailblazer. It always, always was, and always will be. I mean, we wanted him to retire a trailblazer, so we're very open-minded to anytime Dame wants to be a part of us. And the fact that hey. Anything can happen in this league. I haven't lost hope just because I understand, you know, this league is complicated and things change, you know, very quickly. Sometimes, you know, it's we gain more information. Sometimes things aren't what we thought they were. And it's just something that in this league we constantly have to stay nimble and adjust to changing circumstances. And I, I view it like that, that I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what this will end up, what will end up happening here, just knowing that, I won't be surprised if something different happens than we were originally expecting. And that's important. You know, you want to be able to to stay flexible with anything that, you know, comes across the wire now that may have not come across the wire a couple of weeks ago. And when he says like this thing can take months, I don't know. I feel like a lot of people rolled their eyes and shrugged their shoulders and said, man, really? Like just get it over with already. You know, and I asked that question to the, to the audience yesterday, are you just done with it? You just call me when it's over. Let me know when Dame's in Miami and we can officially rebuild and let me know what we get back. Or are you on the side of, 
I know, I know our franchise player is probably on his way out the door, but it very much matters what we get back for this guy. We cannot come up short on return value. That puts the franchise in a bad position. They're already on a in a strong position to rebuild with Scoot and Shaden, but you can get an even better one with the return assets you get back for uh, Damian Lillard. And you want you want adequate return value. You don't want to come up short. And basically, Sean Hyken was uh, joining us yesterday on the show, and he was like, look, he basically said without saying it, Joe Cronin did, that he wasn't taking that Miami package. <laughs> like, you know, everybody's just riding in. This Dame to Miami is done. It's over with. And look, 90% chance, I think, that Dame goes to Miami. Maybe slightly less. I'll go 85. But the the timing of making that happen and what it ultimately looks like in uh, in the get back for Portland, I think, is still anybody's guess. This was Sean Hyken yesterday. Well, I mean, it's not it, it's not outside the realm of possibility, and it's been done. Look at what happened a year ago. Kevin Durant very publicly requested a trade out of Brooklyn and went to the step of going to owner with the Nets with Joe Sy and saying either fire both. Sean Marks and Steve Nash or trade me. And they didn't find a deal they liked, so they didn't trade him. And he showed up to training camp and played that season and did his job and was a pro. And then they revisited it at the deadline when the situation changed and the offers changed. So I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility that that happens. Would it be uncomfortable? Yeah, but it also wouldn't be the first time in NBA history that there's an uncomfortable situation like that. Like, So I could see it happening that way if Joe doesn't get a deal that he likes. Exactly. So, you know, and if it continues, what does that mean? Does that mean that Lillard suits up and plays? Does that mean that he he doesn't, you know, and uh, it's going to be a fascinating situation. And a lot of it kind of dovetails with the promise of Scoot Henderson, who obviously just played 21 minutes in Summer League. He's not going to play tonight in the Summer League game against Charlotte but looked pretty good already in the limited minutes we've seen him. He looked real good that first half before he got injured, and I think it's a different kind of good than Damian Lillard. Like, he's not an outside shooter like Dame is. He's more of a slasher or and, and like a you know drive-and-kick type of guy, you know, attacking the rim type of point guard. He's a different type of guy than, than Dame is, but it's, it's, it's really exciting. I mean, I, I see why the hype is what it was. I'll fully admit I did not watch a ton of G League Ignite games, but after seeing, and I know there's only so much you can read into the first, half, you know, into a one half of one summer league game or really any summer league game. But I think he, you know, I think there's a reason people are as excited about it as they are. And that's kind of the underlying, you know, narrative going on for us in Portland is whatever ends up happening with Dame. Well, at least we got ourselves a uh, a rising star to uh, to take his place. And again, it's it's higher ground to start from than a lot of other franchises would be on that have to ship out there one of the best players in uh, in franchise history. So at least take that with a grain of salt. Dave Decker to Blazers Edge is going to join us in our next segment, and we'll go in, uh, in depth with it a little bit more on what's next for the Trail Blazers and, and how we got to this point with uh, with Joe Cronin taking over for Neil Olshay. Uh, we caught up with Nick Krupke as well from Fox 12 Oregon. If you missed that, the podcast will be up soon, and he, he's got some live coverage on Fox of the MLB All-Star Game, which is uh, coming up at 5 o'clock, and we'll have coverage of that right here on a 750th game, the BFT Radio Network flagship. And uh, look forward to that, man. And the MLB All-Star Game is one of those unique 
events that I think still plays pretty well on television and radio, whereas obviously the NFL doesn't know what it's doing with its all-star product. The NBA has a cool all-star product, but then the actual game itself still leaves people a little bit confused and was like, what did I just watch and who actually won and why? And, you know, Dame, to his credit, he always plays well, regardless of format that the MLB or the uh, NBA all-star game takes. But for whatever reason, maybe it's just for the consistency. I think the uh, MLB all-star game continues to have a place in sports culture that's meaningful and uh, that people like. And, And some of it, is the effect that there's not a whole lot going on in the sports world right now, and it can capitalize on that appetite and that attention. Um, You know, Wimbledon is probably the only other big main thing, and then it's MLB or NBA offseason storylines, but college football is a few weeks away from getting ramped up. Training camps in the NFL are a few weeks away from getting ramped up, so there's plenty of opportunity to seize the attention of the sports world, and baseball is doing it, and they're doing a pretty good job of it. I am interested to see what happens tonight in Seattle uh, with uh, any Oakland A's fans in attendance because I heard some rumors floating out there that the chant that A's fans did at uh, the Coliseum a few weeks ago to for Rob Manfred to force a sale of the team uh, from John Fisher and uh, just booing Rob Manfred and everything going on with A's ownership Um I think a similar thing could be surfacing at the All-Star game uh, tonight. So that's one of the things that I'm kind of looking at with the uh, the broadcast on Fox tonight is if any type of pro-A's chant starts taking place inside the stadium against Rob Manfred or uh, booing Manfred or telling him to, to force a sale of the team, is that going to be shown on Fox? And, and uh, as a partner of the league how much will they show or how will they embrace that? So I don't know. I think that's a, there's a lot of different uh, interesting pieces to, to look at with the, with the all-star game broadcast later tonight. So that's going to be interesting as well. And you can listen to it right here at five o'clock on seven fifty. the game. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll have a conversation with Dave Deckard of Blazers edge and uh, get the latest on what he thinks is going on here in Rip City and what's next for the franchise moving forward in terms of a timeline and potential return value on a Damian Lillard trade and everything in between. This is the Bald Face Truth on the BFT Radio Network. Beautiful, beautiful Tuesday here in Portland, Rose City, wherever you may be listening on the Bald Face Truth of the BFT Radio Network. Thanks for making time. We got All-Star Game coverage coming up at uh, 5 o'clock here on the BFT Radio Network flagship, 750 the game. But before we get there, want to uh, flesh out a little bit more Trailblazers conversation with Dave Deckert. He is a managing editor at Blazers Edge. Kind enough to join us, Dave. A lot to get to. Appreciate you uh, making the time and talking a little uh, Trailblazers with us. Well, it's certainly going to be a different summer, that's for sure. After about six years of placid waters, all of a sudden we're over the waterfall. You know what? I, I appreciate that that uh, that picture because sometimes it's hard to get that perspective when you're in the day-to-day, what's the latest rumor? What's the latest report? What is Dame going to Miami? What's going on? And yet there's a little bit of like nervous energy to, to the situation now and a little bit of edge to the situation now that's a lot better than the like knowable malaise of not competing for anything meaningful. 
Well, yeah, I mean, it depends on how you look at it. Do you want to continue on when in your comfort zone, knowing that you have an incredibly talented, charismatic player who's going to score you between 25 and 30 points a game, but you can't build around him. It's not going to turn into a title. And uh, eventually you're just going to watch the same thing year after year. I think both Dame and perhaps the Blazers, judging by their actions the last year and a half, had decided that, you know, that's not the way they wanted to go. And if they could have changed it and kept Dame in the fold, I fully believe they would have. I fully believe he would have. But I think both of them were looking at the situation and going, you know, if if I stay, says Damian Lillard, this is what we're in for for the rest of my career, and I would prefer to have something different. And the Blazers kind of tacitly said, we agree. There's a lot, you know, of talk around Lillard's legacy, and you've covered this team for a long time. You've been following the Blazers for a long time. You know, where where does he rank? Is he the greatest Blazer ever? You know, how does he compare to, to someone like Walton or Drexler or uh, another name? Certainly he's in the top three without question, but um, is Lillard risking anything in your mind in terms of his Rip City legacy with the manner in which he is kind of forcing his way out and wanting just to go to Miami? Not a bit. I mean, the only controversy is of the abstract kind. Well, the guy has a max contract. He signed an extension, and now he's demanding a trade. I think some people around the NBA are raising eyebrows about that, but it's the same way in which people say, wow, we should get that those divorce laws changed because that seems unfair. That doesn't mean they think you shouldn't get divorced. They're perfectly okay <laughs> with your spouse leaving. They just, in general, don't want that to happen to them or at large. That's the only sore spot in this. Other than that, the entire rest of the NBA is saying about time. Uh, Portland uh, fans will probably be understanding uh, all Dame has to do is go and play somewhere else, and he's going to receive greater exposure and succeed. And you know what? As soon as he retires, the Blazers won't be able to retire his jersey quick enough. So, I mean, there's nothing at risk here for Damian Lillard at all other than some temporary friction caused by any divorce. Uh, I think the Blazers have slightly more at risk, but you know what? that's something they're going to have to deal with. If they were worried about that, they should have fixed this in 2020, yeah. not in 2023. Now, it's a good point. Dave Deckard, Blazers Edge, joining us on the show. Um, in terms of precedent for this, I mean, so it always helps to place it in historical perspective where at all possible. <laughs> you know, as a Blazer fan, this might seem like a, a bit of unknown territory with your, with your star of this caliber asking out. There's obviously the Drexler... Um, parallels they're imperfect but they're they're there as well um you know where do you place this Lillard example in terms of historical precedents whether in Portland or league-wide is there any previous example from which you know Portland fans can draw from to help understand the dynamics at play I mean yeah all of them I mean LeBron has done this 22 times right in his career <laughs> and Look, he's still LeBron James, and the fate of the franchise he left depends on them, not on him. And that's the thing that I think Blazer fans need to understand, is that for too long now, both the franchise and its fans, and in some ways I think Dame, have seamlessly identified the Trailblazers logo with this one player. Now, they had the luxury of doing so because Dame was great and charismatic, but it was also a little bit sleight of hand because they weren't really succeeding in that 
time frame the way they wanted to, but putting the Dame veneer over all of that made it look good. So they were complicit. They went along with it, and they, they hitched their wagon to this one guy and said, we are all about him. In essence, we are nothing without him. They need to detach some of that. What happens to their future depends on them, not on him. And I think Joe Cronin is doing something to to own that with his press conference statements. And they need to continue that. They need to go, look, we have new players. We have a new future. We have loved this decade, but everything comes to an end. And we are ready for a new era in which the Trailblazers reputation, identity, logo all get redefined. How did Cronin come across to you with his Monday press conference? I mean, competent, but subdued. I think he knows what he's facing. And this is the thing of, uh, look, it's the ex-boyfriend going out to the party where his ex-girlfriend is now the belle of the ball, right? Like, you, you understand that this is going to pass. But in that moment, at that particular party, you're not going to speak up too loud and you're just going to try to get through it. Everybody in the NBA is going to say the Trailblazers couldn't build around Dame. That's why he's leaving just like you got dumped. Okay, that's that's his starting base. Given that, I think he did pretty well. He portrayed competence. He betrayed no anxiety or urgency. He reiterated that he's going to do the best possible for his team while still respecting what Dame needs and left open the possibility of that kind of reconciliation where Dame still leaves, but both sides get what they want. That's really all that he could do. If he tried to do something else saying, you know, we're, we're going to trade him to Miami and make it work, or we're going to get another deal or make it work or put specifics on it or whatever, then he's just speaking up at that party where he can't win anyway go to the corner do your job get through it and there will be brighter days tomorrow and you know what you're going to show up at that party next month with scoot henderson and that's not too bad no no not at all when i ask you about scoot in a moment i also was impressed by cronin you know taking accountability and basically saying look like i failed damian lillard our goal was to build around him we didn't accomplish that we tried but we didn't get it done that's on me and i couldn't help dave but think Boy, I don't think that that's a phrase Neil O'Shea would have uttered during his time in Portland, that it's my fault, you know, I got to take accountability for not building around Damian Lillard. Um, if we're uh, assigning blame, because that's a fun thing to do, uh, you mentioned 2020 probably would have been as good a time as ever to really recommit to, you know, the urgency of building a contender around Damian Lillard so we wouldn't have to get to this point. Obviously, Neil was here then, Cronin took over, basically at the end of the calendar year in 2021 how, how do you parse it you know how much blame goes on cronin he's the one taking uh, responsibility but well shea wasn't there to take responsibility yesterday because he's been fired but I, I know he's got some of this on his hands well i'm going to write about exactly this tomorrow i think from from both points of view and one of the things to understand is tracing this whole thing back. I mean, you can go as far as 2015 when the Marcus Aldrich left. That was very young in Lillard's career. It's the first moment where he got to step up as the absolute unquestioned, unchallenged superstar. And you may remember that after LaMarcus left, they won like 43 games or something like that. Don't have it in front of me. But that was oversold. That means, ha, take that media. You only predicted 32 wins. We got 43. We're the greatest team in the universe. And, well, it was a good achievement, but they were not that. 
And the chronic overselling during the early to mid part of Damian Lillard's career, I think, was, again, another veneer over the lack of success that they were experiencing. And they sold that as winning. Well, I mean, they got their their boost in 2019 where they made it to the conference finals. And even though they got swept, again, everybody got renewed, bigger contracts, Olsay, Terry Stotts, et cetera, et cetera. And it said, well, you know, that's that's the proof that this is all working. Well, it wasn't. It still wasn't. And then what happened is basically when you get into 2020, 2021, you realize if, if you're Dame, hey, I'm getting older and we're still saying this, but we're still not actually winning. And I think the seeds of that accountability go clear back to Olshay in some ways to Dame for, for buying into this, although he was young and he was at the center of it. So well, how can you blame him? But it goes back as far as that. And this has been brewing really for eight years now. And we're just seeing the fruition of forces that have continued on throughout that time. So basically, I think when Joe Cronin stepped into it, there was only so much he could do. I think if he's guilty of anything, he's guilty of some naivete. Uh, that Two months ago, I think the Blazers and the people surrounding them were credibly talking about people like, well, Joel Embiid or whatever. I mean, we didn't hear this officially, but in back channels, we're going to get somebody great. Well, that's just really not possible the way you think it is. I think Cronin's inexperience might have showed there, thinking that he could get that deal done and letting that be known. But other than that, I, I think that he is pretty spotless in this. There wasn't much he could do but dismantle and hope. And at least when he dismantled, he hedged his bets. He got young players. And again, they ended up, luckily, with Scoot Henderson. I mean, Shaden Sharp's not bad. They still have Anthony Simons. He's got a young core to start out with, at least out of this, instead of reinvesting in ancient forwards or aging forwards who were mediocre once more, like Olshay did. And now we have to rebuild without Dame, and we have salary cap issues, and we have no talent. Dave Deckard, Blazers Edge, joining us. Scoot looks pretty good, Dave, uh, and he's he's getting some rave reviews uh, from some national pundits out there. What do you what do you make of watching Scoot so far? Okay, so first, there's going to be a learning curve, and especially without veterans on the team. So look, he's not going to look as great right away as he did in his only summer league game. But the guy's built like a linebacker. We know this. And he's got a deadly combination of two other qualities. One is a first step where he can get that shoulder past you. And when he gets that shoulder past a defender, nobody is moving it. Okay, you can't bump him out of the way. That is exciting. The other thing is his confidence in his pull-up shot inside the arc. He's not going to be a good three-point shooter yet. He needs to develop that. But if he gets on that drive and the help comes, he can pull up and shoot a jump shot before the help arrives, which is really, really powerful. That makes him a multi-level, multi-faceted offensive threat. That is super exciting because what's going to functionally end up happening is he's going to draw attention and he's going to have teammates open. The last thing we saw is he has an ability to pass, at least so far. And, uh, you know, if you set Shaden Sharp up with an open three, 
That's not bad. You can envision Jeremy Grant on the other side of the floor. That's not going to be bad either. So already you've got some synergy going on there. So all for all those reasons, I think Blazer fans should be excited about Henderson. I think you got to give him a couple years to learn the point guard stuff. Also, he needs to develop that three-point shot in the modern NBA. But if he has time and he has that distant shot, I think he's going to be a very, very serviceable guard at minimum and probably an all-star before too long. Yeah, and that's the exciting thing for Blazers fans. Even before the Lillard trade, having Sharp and Scoot, especially the way they look right now, young in their career, that's a pretty good place to start from with a with a rebuild regardless but I'm eager to hear your your thoughts on this Dave even with that in mind great foundation what is the best case scenario with a Lillard deal moving forward both in terms of timeline before the season during training camp after the season starts before uh, the trade deadline like what, what's the best time to get this deal and um, I imagine that's quite tied to what the actual return package ultimately becomes Yeah, I mean, look, short term, you would rather get it done sooner than later to remove the ambiguity and make everybody happy. But in the big picture, it doesn't matter. You can be completely agnostic as far as timing, whether it's now, six months from now, a year from now, what matters is the return. And that's the only thing that the trailblazers can bank on in the future. I mean, the appeasing dame is really nice, but that doesn't pay the bills a year from now. What they get back from that package does. So what you're really looking at, I think the primary return is simply going to be draft picks and the more unprotected ones you have and the more that they are in the future. The the Blazers can ladder right now. They have really young talent right now. They don't need more really young talent in 2024 necessarily. That's going to create a big bubble with no veterans to learn from. Everybody's too bunched up. If they can get more young talent in 2027 and then again in 2029, now the players now are are like three or four years matured and you get a layer underneath them and you get a layer underneath them five, six, seven years down the road. Now you have a really exciting team and that's what they're building toward. So I think those draft picks are going to be key if they can also get a a talented young player or two especially maybe at the center position that would be great but i think that that is secondary at this point they're going to have to take back salary whether they can get back another player with it is up in the air but again those draft picks are the big bonus that you hope for any chance lillard is still playing in a blazer uniform if he's not traded at the start of the season Yeah, I mean, that would be up to him and the team. I don't believe that there will be the kind of animosity that says, you know, you're intentionally working me over and therefore I'm not playing for you. I believe there would be the tension of, look, we cannot get a deal done and it's not going to get any better if you sit. And Dame himself with his character and his dedication to basketball, if not the Blazers, will probably understand that the same way Kevin Durant did in Brooklyn. So I would say there is a chance, as long as Dame doesn't think that the Blazers are actively passing up deals, that he could suit up if they can't get a a deal done. Obviously, that's not ideal. But again, that would be better than taking back a horrible package for your one superstar trade chip. Thanks a lot for the time, Dave. It's hard to see what you write uh, later this week on, on the uh, the vast background that's led us up to this point with Damian Lillard and the franchise. But 
Thanks for making time, and we'll look forward to reading you on Blazer's Edge. Absolutely. Always a pleasure. There is Dave Decker joining us here on the Bold Faced Truth. The one thing that I do uh, think about, I don't see Dame suiting up if he's still in Portland. And I know the team is not in tank mode or anything like that, but they are in rebuild mode. And I just don't know what the incentives are as a team if you're ultimately going to trade Damian Lillard to have him play. Now, I know that that's an agreed-upon mutually decision. And I've already stated that 90% sure he's going to get traded to Miami. I just don't know exactly when or how that's going to be executed because it's not going to be the trade package that's been reportedly floated out there by by Miami to this point. And um, as much as Aaron Goodwin was probably trying to strong-arm a Portland to Miami deal as soon as possible, as much as Pat Riley was probably trying to angle to do the same, and it was in Miami's best interest to make it happen ASAP, it's not in Portland's best interest. So if it takes months, it takes months. But if it takes months... I still don't see Dame playing. What if he gets hurt? (laughs) Why why risk that? Doesn't make sense to me. So settle in, Rip City. Settle in. We're uh, we're in for a little bit longer of a ride than I think Pat Riley would want. But that's just the way I like it. We'll see what happens. We'll wrap up shop on the other side as we lead you up to uh, All-Star Game coverage at 5 o'clock right here on the Bald Face Truth. We got all-star game coverage coming up at five o'clock. That uh, is going to be a lot of fun here on 750 The Game, flagship of the BFT and the BFT Radio Network. I was on Twitter uh, this week and noticed one of the accounts. I think it was uh, West Coast Football that they do a, a lot of stuff, obviously around uh, the Pac-12, etc. And uh, they tweeted out one of the highlights of the Civil War from Beavs Ducks a while back. I want to say 07. I want to say it was the last time that the Beavs won in Austin. And uh, it just got me thinking of some of the best, you know, Oregon, Oregon State uh, moments in that rivalry's history. There's plenty to choose from, but if you, uh, as a listener, want to chime in, you can at 503-417-7575. What's your favorite Civil War moment? Your favorite Duck-Beav rivalry moment? Um, you know, for, for Beaver fans, they might say it's that, you know, fourth down stop of Oregon in double overtime in 2007 that ended up sealing the victory for Oregon State. And little did Beaver fans know at the time, but that'd be the last time they won in Eugene for a long time. We're still, we're still going on that one. Could this be the year, by the way? Autzen hosts... The, uh, the annual rivalry game, and you've got DJ potentially against Mateo, which is going to be a lot of fun. I think Mateo is going to be an impact player. I don't think it's going to take long for him to get acclimated. He is a different kind of athlete. And coming off the edge, you know, Jordan Birch as well from South Carolina, going to be uh, playing a one-edge position. I don't know if Mateo will be, you know, hand in the ground or if he'll be rushing from an outside linebacker position, but that's one of the things I'm looking forward to seeing how he's deployed and, um, you know, what kind of havoc he can wreak even as a freshman. I think he's got that in him. Also, if you're a college football fan, then you're probably going to get your hands on the Phil Steele magazine at some point. 
And uh, if you're like me, you might be one of those guys that gets your hands on all sorts of different uh, football magazines. Because I noticed, I you know, I was going through the Barnes and Noble the other day. That's where I get my Phil Steele every year, the Bridgeport Barnes and Noble. And uh, I I ran into like two or three different people that were doing the same thing I was doing, grabbing the Phil Steele. <laughs> no, we weren't doing anything shady at the magazine section. It was just a bunch of, you know, regular, normal dudes looking at magazines about college football, like normal dudes do. And I just looked at the guy next to me, and, and uh, he had, like, this stack of Phil Steele magazines, and I said, dude, I've been waiting for this. He's like, me too. <laughs> we just kind of had a moment where I was like, oh, okay, it's that time. And it always is right around this time of year. Yeah, middle of July. Right around this time of year, we'll have Pac-12 Media Day coming up uh, at the end of next week, I believe the 21st, from Las Vegas. And John Cazano will be live on the scene with Pac-12 Media Day. Who knows if we'll have a media rights deal done by then. I'm starting to uh, get more and more skeptical that that will be the case. But regardless, um, I would hope that it is done so they have something positive to talk about. But it just feels like this thing's going to keep dragging itself on and on and on. And we're not going to get a final result until September. I mean, is there a chance that this goes into football season? I don't know which one I'm going to be uh, more exhausted with. The Damian Lillard trade rumors that are going to potentially last a month or this ongoing Pac-12 media rights negotiation nonsense. Just get it done already for everybody's sake. But I did get the Phil Steele magazine, got it in my hands right now, going through the uh, the Oregon pages, and just really excited about a few games on the schedule in particular. Obviously, week two at Texas Tech, you know, Texas Tech is a sneaky good team. And I think as we get closer to it, we'll realize that this is going to be an actual challenge for Oregon. For one, it's going to be a 7 o'clock kick out there in Lubbock, which is probably good because, you know, you don't want it earlier in the heat of the day. At least it's, it'll still be hot and probably humid down there September 9th, but I think it'll be better that it's at night just from a uh, a weather standpoint, but at the same time, that atmosphere at night is going to be on fire down there in Lubbock. That is going to be a tough, tough place to play week two. Because originally in my head, I was like, you know, that's kind of like the Washington state conference opener last year going on the road and you find yourself in a shootout and you got to come back from behind to do it. And that game got sloppy in a hurry and a lot of, you know, Coog sloppiness helped, but I'm not really getting those vibes from this Texas tech game anymore. Um, in fact, earlier this off season, I was just kind of going through and, and trying to get a sense of when was the last time that Oregon had a true road game in the state of Texas. Obviously, they've gone to Texas a lot to play neutral site games, to play bowl games, but true road games in the state of Texas, that is a uh, that is a different kind of, of challenge. And um, I'm pulling up my notes from it right now, and I think the last time that Oregon played a true road game in the state of Texas, and uh, longtime Duck fans will probably recognize this, but... You have to go all the way back to the year 2005. 
Who were they playing in their season opener in 2005? The Houston Cougars. <laughs> it wasn't Texas. It wasn't Texas Tech. It wasn't Texas A&M. It wasn't SMU. Oregon went on the road in uh, 2005 for their season opener and played Houston and beat them 38-24. to 24. And uh, that uh, got their 2005 season started on the right foot. They started the year 3-0. and They beat Fresno State a couple of weeks later. USC was ranked number one that year, and they curb-stomped Oregon, which was uh, unfortunate for the Ducks. But that just goes to show you how long it's been since Oregon went to the state of Texas and played a true road game. And if you're looking for, like, power five opponents that Oregon's played in Texas that are not bowl games or neutral site games, I mean, you got to go back even further. You got to go back to 1991. 1991, the Oregon Ducks went into the state of Texas for a true road game against an actual Power 5 school, which, you know, I actually look it up if Texas Tech was Power 5 at the time. But they played they played Texas Tech in Week 2, 1991. I know everyone's going to roll their eyes when I say this, but I wasn't even alive yet. <laughs> I wasn't even alive the last time Oregon played Texas Tech on the road in uh, in a true road game. They were in the Southwest Conference, so obviously Power 5 looks different now than it than the Power Conferences looked back then, but the Southwest Conference was a legit big-time conference, obviously, uh, back in the early 90s. So Oregon at Texas Tech, September 14th, 1991. The Ducks won the game 28-13 to to improve to 2-0 and on the year. That was the last time Oregon's played a Power Conference opponent in a true road game in Texas. You know, there's a lot of Alamo Bowls in there. There's a lot of neutral site games in Jerry World. Obviously, we remember the 2011 season opener with Tyron Matthew and LSU. We remember the 2014 National Championship game against Ohio State in Jerry World, Cardale and Zeke. We remember the 2019 season opener with Herbie against some guy named Bo Nix. In Cherry World, that's still so funny to think about all these years later. Bo Nix's first game was against Justin Herbert, and he beat the guy. And uh, now Herbie's doing his thing in the NFL, and he's already in year four. And Bo is playing with Oregon for another season in 2023. It's just fascinating to, to see that all these years later. But... I mean, there's, you know, 2005, Oregon at Houston. They played at UTEP in 1998. Yeah, that's right. You heard that right. The Oregon Ducks played a true road game at UTEP in 1998. Somebody get Mike Bellotti on the phone, figure out how that one got scheduled. Oregon at UTEP, 1998, week two. Uh, 1991, we mentioned it. They played at Texas Tech. And it was 15 years Prior to that was their last visit to Texas. They played TCU on the road in 77. And then I was just thinking, has Oregon played the Texas Longhorns in Austin? And they did. You got to go back to 1971 when that happened last. They also did it in 1962. And you know what's kind of fascinating? And I got to dig into this more. But And uh, hardcore Duck historians probably know more, more on this, but... 1941, 
okay? And if you're a, a fan, fan of American history, you know the significance of 1941 because of what happened on December 7th. That was Pearl Harbor. The Oregon Ducks played a college football game the day before at Texas. Week 10 of the season, a normal regular season game played at Texas, 1941, December 6th, the day before, you know, the infamous Pearl Harbor attacks. And uh, I just think that that's kind of fascinating to think that, you know, Oregon was playing college football and the month of December, like obviously we're we're used to that now, but back then December games were uh, not exactly, you know, customary and they were playing at UT Austin on uh, on the day before one of the more you know tragic days in our, our country's history. But at the same time, it just goes to show you just from a football standpoint, how rare it is for Oregon to play a true road game in the state of Texas especially a true road game in the state of Texas against a power conference opponent. Not to mention all the other underlying narratives going on between the Pac-12 and the Big 12 conference. It's your mark against George. And you know that your mark wouldn't have it any other way. And, but for George Klyovkov, for as good as it felt to be in Columbus week two of 2021, when Oregon went into... Ohio Stadium and beat Ohio State. That felt awesome. They were two touchdown underdogs. They go in there and they win the game in a shootout against C.J. Stroud in C.J. Stroud's first home game as a Buckeye. As good as that felt for George Klyovkov and snapping the photo with Kevin Warren in the press room at the time, and then nine months later to have that same guy stab you in the back and then leave to become president of the Chicago Bears after he pulls the knife out. I think this Oregon-Texas Tech game, I think, also matters a great deal to George Klyovkov. And it's not going to be the only one with these Pac-12, Big 12, you know, showdowns. And, you know, whoever wins the game probably doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things as it relates to, like, media rights and all that. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. But the bragging rights sure does matter. For all that Brett said and done about uh, toward George and the Pac-12 and all the negative publicity, etc., you've got Oregon, Texas Tech, you've got uh, Utah and Baylor. That's another big one, and you've got uh, Auburn against Cal. You got Oklahoma State, Arizona State. There's your other Big 12, Pac-12 game, and we we played that game last year as well. So. There's three Pac-12, Big 12 games all on week two of the season. And uh, if you're a Pac-12 fan, you hope that you go 3-0 and in those so all the other fans from across the country can start, you know, shutting up about how great the Big 12 conference is and how they're going to take all the Pac-12 teams. we got all-star coverage coming up next at 5 o'clock right here on 750 The Game. We'll talk to you again tomorrow on the Bald Face Truth and the BFT Radio Network.